And here in Detroit, where so many of the tools of victory were turned out, it's in the air. All Detroit wants another kind of victory. They're out to see the Detroit Tigers, their favorite ball team. Let's go inside. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tiger Minor League Recap, Minor League Podcast Recap. As uh, it's been a while, I, like I said, I, I put this in the show notes and I put it on our Facebook. I'm Rahel Castillo. Alongside me is Chris Brown and David Work. All right. Yeah, it's been pretty busy around here. We had the holidays, uh, vacations, and, and what have you, you know, appendix being removed, stuff like that. It's crazy. Um, and then plus, not to mention, the sun, one of the Sundays I was working down at Comerica Park, I had to work a doubleheader, and I didn't realize, like I told David, I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll be ready for tomorrow. And then I, it totally dawned on me that I'll be work, I had to work a, the, one of the doubleheaders. And so apologies on that. But uh, we're back, and uh, before we start, with this week's recap, we're going to catch up with a couple of things. Our live draft show will be next Sunday at the Woodward studio. So it will be sound. You can find it at Woodward sports on their YouTube page. And probably this stream will be on this page as well. If not, it's just going to be one location, but we'll have plenty of guests. We're going to have show prep. Like right now I'm going to have probably about a notebook full. I mean, this is not full, obviously this is just for tonight, but there's going to be, in terms of when you print out all the sheets are going to be printed out for this draft, it's going to be full. I just lost a listener talking about it because he was just like, whatever <laughs> they were like, whatever, but we'll be, we'll be doing a lot of draft talk. So we're going to have Trevor Hoof from bless you boys, Brendan day from uh, bless you boys, Scott Bentley from lockdown tigers. We're going to have Justin and Pat and Willie from guardians insider or guardians prospect report. We're going to have, James Fox, he does future socks. We have a bunch of people, so it's just going to be a plethora of guests. I, I think I use plethora right in that sense, but uh, a cornucopia of guests. There we go. There you go. One of the things, plethora is actually one of the most uh, misused words because people people use it to mean a lot, but it actually means an overabundance. So, like, we've got a plethora of grain. It's popping out of the top of the silo because we don't have enough room for it. Eh, tomato tomato yeah so one of the i mean this is an argument i have all the time like what's the point of language uh if like if people use it for one thing then that's what it is right like why make up rules about words uh if if they're being used a different way and, and people understand it so people understand what you mean i'm just that's my editor coming out like hey you know actually plethora means this and uh, if you spell buses with two s's that actually means kisses no but uh, you know what chris you're absolutely right, though it, and but then technically by definition that is correct we're, we're having overabundance we're, we're to get too many guests they're gonna people are gonna get tossed out left and right like jazz from fresh prince yeah it's good <laughs> you need your time up like jazz, uh, yeah. yeah to do that but, uh, <laughs> no but last year we had those guys on last year but i wanted to redeem myself because i had some audio quality dis- issues but this year we're have a professional studio behind us and so but uh J- greg What's up, Chris? I wouldn't down yourself too much. I mean, you you, you brought a, a whole like studio's worth of equipment out to my house and set it up and still had, you know, a ton of people watching. So it was just, you know, it's tough to set all that stuff up in, in a couple uh, hours. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one a lot because uh, I don't know, it, it's a really interesting graph, too. But we'll we'll get to all that next week. Yeah, plenty of yeah. there's going to be a lot of draft talk coming up this week. So Greg Gagne, 
who is the voice of the Erie Seals, will be joining us at some point in the next uh, 10, 15 minutes. He's just getting back from Harrisburg. We had a chance to talk to him earlier. And Greg is always a great – last time we had him on, we, we talked for a while. about it, it was just, he, was, he stayed for the whole show, which was awesome. So mm-hmm. I did not expect that. But tonight I'm going to try to limit himself because the guy's just getting back, and I'm sure he wants to get – Toronto's his only day off. So, But uh, we'll start with Toledo and – it's been a <laughs> looking at the uh, so again. David's been doing our show outline as he's learning how to prepare a show, and the first thing that stands out to me was the amount of the run scored versus runs allowed. And Chris did a couple of uh, tweets earlier this week that kind of highlighted that. So Omaha scored thirty-eight runs to. Toledo 22. And what was there a game? What was there? What was the game this week, Chris, that they lost 18 of, or what was it? Some ridiculous score. 20 to, 20 to six. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was 20 to six. Um, it was, a, it was a brutal one. Well, it, and you know, Omaha is called the storm chasers for a reason, right? There, there is a, a penchant for storms to appear in that part of the country. And even when the storms aren't there, sometimes the wind, blows out pretty good. And they were talking about on last night's broadcast about how that in that game when Omaha, I believe, hit nine home runs, uh, the wind happened to be blowing out pretty fiercely in one direction. So, I mean, you would think both teams can take advantage of it, but sometimes that doesn't work that way. So, but yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was something to behold, nine home runs. I don't, I don't recall seeing that before. Yeah, it's <sighs> the, the Toledo has been hit up with injuries with, Essentially, the Tigers kind of get as many people off their roster as they can. So, but uh, as far as any highlights for the week in terms of pitching-wise, David, was there anybody that uh, – I know you are doing the notes this week. Was there anybody that stood out at all? Well, um, for for all the good ways and bad ways, um, good way was Elvin Rodriguez, which he's been um, he's been relatively impressing us so far in, Erie, in Toledo this year. Excuse me. Yeah, he's um, – ever since the um, – Ever since the spot started against the Yankees in the big club, um, people people were kind of people were kind of talking down on him a little bit. But yeah, it's like I, I watched his debut against the White Sox earlier in the year. It's like I always knew he had it in him. So yeah, it was a it's nice to see him come up with a good start. Um, and on the other side of the coin, you also had um, Jose Cisnero, who is um, just continuously tripping over himself as of late, which is rough. But um, I'm hoping he can. He can um, eventually find the spark that he had last year being like the anchor to the bullpen. But yeah, it's blue save day or it was, it was game one, excuse me. But yeah, it was, it was a tough one for the bullpen in general, but Jose Cisnero to be specific. Yeah. There's the Toledo's playing right now, which is strange yeah. to think, but with, uh, with yeah, all the... like a fifth, I think. Yeah. Last I checked in the eighth. And Sunday night baseball usually it takes precedent. Um, Major league baseball, there's not really minor league baseball going on. Everything's usually by now done. And you have tonight, of course, Boston and New York. Of course, shocker. I mean, it's <sighs> Brian Garcia getting a spot start today for Toledo. Two two earned, one strikeout over three. Nice. Yeah, it looks like a, it was a bullpen out of Jenny Holstaff today. Yeah. Cisneros getting a one, one scoreless though, so that's no strikeouts, which is something else. But yeah, yeah. There's, I don't know. It's it's weird to me that that again. This is how depleted the rotation is. But 
I, I'd rather watch Toledo than Boston, New York, because it was funny. Like yesterday, Boston won, and some Yankees fan tweeted out because the boss got excited, and uh, somebody was like, "It was saying, congratulations, you're still 15 games back or 14 games back or something of like that effect." Um, all right, so getting back, I'm sorry, I was just distracted by the fact that Toledo, Toledo, or Toledo was still on as of right now. Uh, Sanchez got a hit, and a lot has changed actually with Toledo's roster since we last been on. We have uh, a new Tigers catcher in Ali Sanchez, who was added to the 40-man roster. He comes over from the St. Louis Cardinals organization. The former, he was internationally signed by the Mets in 2015-2016 and potentially had a power tool, but he's been known more for his defensive abilities, but he's just not been able to hit on a major league level. He's seen a cup of coffee, and that's really about it. But other than that, he's been kind of, I'm kind of perplexed by this, guys. I'll start with you, Chris. The reason I'm perplexed by this is because Jake Rogers is coming back soon, and the Tigers are, with the bullpen being taxed, I would think they would add another pitcher. Well, we remember that they, they ended up trading Ryan LaVarnway, right? They traded oh, Miami, yeah, it's Miami. Miami, yeah. and that was like shortly after they added Sanchez. So I think, I mean, catcher is just one of those positions you, you do not want to get caught. Uh, without bodies yeah. uh, because you know you can't just be like hey Carol Castro go catch you can but it's going to be a disaster like these guys have years of, of at least receiving and that's all it matters but so now everyone's Don Kelly <clears throat> yeah I, I mean even yeah like I mean Andrew Romine caught that one game right and and he there are certain players who can, who can theoretically do it Freddie Paul Selly is a guy that, that you know can play everywhere and catch but yeah, so it's just you just want bodies there, and I think that's you know David was talking earlier about they keep getting these right-handed relievers. I mean that might just be like that's what's available. They need arms. You saw it today. What did what did they do today? Like five different relievers. They just need arms, and they'll take whatever's available. Who is it? The uh, Cody Sedlock, right? Yeah. Uh, so they you know. picked up from Baltimore, who has been. He was a picked from uh, drafting out of Illinois, right, Chris? That's what it was. University of Illinois, yeah. And what's interesting about him, too, is that he's had arm surgery issues. He's had uh, the thoracic. Is it the thoracic issues? I believe it was in the shoulder. Yeah, so that is – but, again, there's some people that have talked about his upside a little bit. He's only appeared in one game, has an ERA of 15, 15, literally. But at the same time, it can take that for what it's worth because he needs more work for it. But Sam Howard was – Taking off the forty-man roster, clear waivers. He's back in Bomber. Toledo. Pardon me. Yeah, no, I'm saying that. I, I was kind of bummed out about Sam Howard only because I, I would have been curious to see. Um, because like I watched an outing of his when he was with the Pirates. I can't remember who they played, but like I was like, he's not a very overpowering pitcher. His stuff played more like for ground balls and fly balls, and I'm like, it would have been interesting to see what he would have looked like at Comerica, like how he would have handled the big field, but. At the end of the day, it was it was a bummer. I think. Well, I mean, he's back on there, and and Drew Hutchison. I feel like every week Drew Hutchison is outright waived and go back to goes to Toledo. How many times has that happened? Well, I've been on, so he. I mean, he's been cut three times. I think. Yeah, he's I mean, you you guys heard me say a couple of, a couple of shows ago. It's like I'm just. Uh, I'm gonna be on this guy's side. It's like you know, it's it's just been a bummer. He's been putting up a good outing after good outing with the big club, and like yeah, just 
they're not they're not showing them any uh, respect for it. Yeah, no, I, I wonder if uh, if maybe uh, this last thing because he looked pretty good today. Other than he basically, you know, he he tends to get himself in trouble by you know get ahead in the count and then just not throw any strikes, which is kind of the way he has to operate. But his stuff actually looked pretty good today when he wasn't throwing his four seamer. Like his sinker, his slider, his changeup, they all look pretty good. Um, and I was like, yeah, I mean, if somebody else looks at this uh, outing, I think that if they try to cut him again, I think he'll get picked up by somebody else now. Yeah, especially because his fastball today, he was he was getting throwing some riding action on his fastball in the upper part of the zone, something that we didn't we did not see last year. And against the White Sox, he held his own. I, 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 the home run aside, I thought he pitched really well today, and enough to I think worth consideration again to get another start and that was a lineup too that you can see especially in, in, on the road chicago is a band uh a bandstand comparatively speaking to comerica park i was able to limit that so but the other uh, the, the other that was has changed recently in the podcast or excuse me try it again because for whatever reason i am stumbling all over the place today what has changed in the last couple of weeks has also been the play of akil badu who has been on a tear for the last, I would probably even, dare I say, probably not 14, 15 days. He's batting 420. He's got an OPS over 1,000. He's got three home runs. He's got more walks and strikeouts, which is important. So it's 11 to 10 at the moment. And he's been able to also provide with six doubles. And he's stole a couple of bases. So it seems like he's getting back in the swing of things, along with Kerry Carpenter, who came up a few weeks ago, after the first half where the Seawolves fell sort for the first half run of the playoffs. And again, Carpenter, 368, 467, 500 in the last two weeks. Now it's kind of like you see some people on Twitter. Where, when, when is he going to come up? When is he going to get a first baseman glove? And I don't know. Like In terms of his strikeouts and walks, they're even. So he's cut back. Has it been a product of AAA pitching? David, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, um, I have to, I have to kind of take it on this one because you know it's like I was, I was the skeptical one when he was called up, and yeah, it's like I, I'm impressed. It's like I'm buying in just a tad. It's like he's doing everything I, I asked of him like last couple shows, and like yeah, he's he's putting it together. It's like it, it's pretty impressive to see because like he's been, he he's been hitting more singles. He's not swinging out of his shoes. It's like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how I feel about the first base thing because he he runs decently for an outfielder, but yeah, it's I, I like it. What about you, Chris? Yeah, you know, in what's interesting is when you watch, and we looked at this before. I don't know if we mentioned it on this show, but uh, you know, he, his strikeouts were kind of high, but he had a very low, not very low, but comparatively low swinging strike rate. Like, he, he wasn't swinging and missing a ton. And if you watch these first, uh, you know, two weeks of games in Toledo, he's, he's putting together a lot of long at-bats. He's fouling off a lot of pitches. He's just – he's a guy who's not going to walk a ton. But I don't think strikeouts are necessarily going to be a huge problem for him. I think uh, – I think – and one of the things we looked at is, is based on his swinging strike rate and his isolated power, um, he actually compares to, like, three – only three other minor leaguers have had seasons like him, and all three of them made the big, uh, big leagues. It was uh, Adam Duvall, 
Seth Brown and Brennan Bosch. And I think Brennan Bosch is a useful comparison because Brennan Bosch had plenty of power, didn't strike out a ton, but basically once big league pitchers figured out that they could get him to swing every time at a slider low and in and, and hit weak ground balls, they that was it for his career, basically. Over. And, yeah. I mean, I don't want to predict that for Kerry Carpenter. I'm just saying that that could be the kind of plate discipline we're talking about where he's doing all this damage, but once you get to the top level, and I think he will now. I didn't I didn't think he would before. But at a certain point, you can't ignore stats that guys are putting up. Like, I don't know, they, they've kind of, they've ignored Josh Lester. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say ignored him, but like, yeah, he's always put up numbers, but he's also always been hitting like 230, 240. Harry Carpenter's maintaining a 300 plus batting average while hitting for power. At some point, you got to give that guy a shot just in case, even if you don't believe in him. You want to be like, maybe there's something here we don't see. So I think he will get a shot. And it wouldn't surprise me if he hits a little bit when he first comes up. Uh, and then it's a matter of can he adjust in, once they find his weaknesses. And, and I'd, I'd be willing to guess that probably not. But I, I, will, I don't want to doubt the kid. I mean, what he's done so far is pretty impressive. So, yeah, and we're going to bring somebody who knows a lot about Harry Carpenter. That is the voice of the Erie Seawolves, Greg, who just off the road. And thank you so much for joining us, Greg. We're just talking about Harry Carpenter's number in, in Toledo. He's Seemed like he's got his walks and strikes all figured out, but there is, uh, you can see it right now. The first comment, when does he get a chance this year or next season? And Greg, you, you've been with him for a couple seasons now. Yeah. When we talked about this before, when we we're in Erie with you about this in terms of the adjustments and, and seeming like he's getting more loft in his swing consistently when, I mean, does he get a first baseman's glove or what, when do you think he gets an opportunity? When do I think he gets the opportunity? I, I, I think it really depends on what happens in the big club this year. Um, you know, he's, he's not the best outfielder. I'd say he's an average outfielder and I, I think he could get exposed at Comerica in a big way. Uh, but, but as Chris was saying, you can't ignore the bat. And, and that's been the big thing and the knock on him when he was in Erie, he was putting up tremendous numbers, doubles, home runs, getting on base a ton um, but but the biggest issue for him was the strikeouts and uh, where, where I think he was better this year at not swinging and missing at the sliders down in a way that was the big kryptonite pitch a season ago. Um, now, now you've seen pitchers at this level really start to attack him up in the zone um, and, and, and the high fastball as most hitters their eyes light up at that pitch and, and that was the one pitch that kind of gave him some trouble this year. Uh, and, and he had a hard time laying off of it. So whereas in 2021, it was the it was the down and away and, and all the breaking stuff that he kept chasing. Now he's getting to those pitches and he has better strikes and recognition at the bottom of the strike zone. And now it's almost like he's got to figure out that top of the strike zone for him to really elevate to that next level. Um, but, you know, in, in talking with other broadcasters in the league, that was that was the attack mode. Once he really started to take off, it was, we got to pitch him up everything, uh, you know, letters and above to try and get him to swing and miss because if we get him down in the zone, he's going to hit it out of the ballpark and, you know, pitchers at this level. And I think it, it goes without saying pitchers everywhere. think they're going to get you out with no matter what they've got. Uh, and, and, and he exposed that quite a bit this season. Um, so I, I think the jury's still out. I don't know if everybody is sold on him in Detroit right now. I, I know there are some people who are and some, and probably who are not, or he'll see he already be up there. Um, but he, look, he, you can't ignore the numbers. He's going to get a shot, whether it's with Detroit or with somebody else, someone's going to give him a shot in the big leagues. And then it's up to him how it goes from there. But, you know, Brennan Bosch, that was a great analogy you brought up, um, where, where he just tore it up in the minor leagues 
And then when he got to the big leagues, then, you know, those guys are, are, are good up there and they will expose your weaknesses. And it's a matter of adjusting to the weaknesses. And I think from year over year, Carpenter did a good job of adjusting to those weaknesses. And now uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can keep it up. I, I was a little surprised myself to see what he's been able to do so far in Toledo. I'm happy for him uh, that he's that he's done it. And, and he's tried to prove everybody wrong. And as you guys know, if you're not on a top 30 prospect list anymore, then it is so hard to get into the big leagues. And, and that's really, you know, years ago it was just, hey, you perform, you're going to go up. Now it's, well, there's guys ahead of you. There's other prospects, and, and you're not in that top 30, so are we really going to put a 40-man spot on this guy? So a lot more decisions go into, into that, that that weren't there in the past. And one of the things, too, Greg, and we've talked about, and, and some about the lines of, or we talked about the prospects in where they are drafted. So, for example, if somebody like, in their first five rounds might get preference over somebody else. And, but the, until the hitting, or excuse me, until the talent comes out of it, for example, Gary Hill comes to mind, Bo Brisky, those guys are 26, 27 round picks. So that sometimes I think people forget about, well, we spend much about this money. Let's get him a little more uh, playing you're time. Right. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. If you're a top, you know, three, four, five round pick, you're going to get every opportunity that organization can give you because they've invested so much money in you in those top five rounds. Uh, and past that, it's it's tough to break through. It, it's it's purely performance based on that on on the rest of the on the rest of the guys who get uh, either either signed as minor league free agents or drafted in low rounds. And you know, Bo Brisky has bucked that trend. Um, you know, you look at what Garrett Hill's been able to do, even Tarek Skubal. I mean, he was a ninth rounder, and and it took him. You know, I, I think that when he was in Erie, the jury was still out on him. And, you know, I kept telling everybody who would listen, this kid's going to be good. He's going to be – he's a potential ace of your staff in the big leagues. And at times he looked more dominant than, than Manning Mize and, and Wentz that season when he was, uh, when he was in Erie. Uh, but, but you're right, though. Guys who are, are not those top 30 prospects, who aren't those top five-round picks, uh, it, it is very tough for them to get to the big leagues, and you have to produce on the field to get there. And it's just – it's so difficult to do. And I think the default position on guys who are picked late is people look for reasons not to believe it. And so like yeah. I've heard, I've heard scouts before say like, Hey, they don't trust guys who have like twice as many home runs as doubles. Like, I, I don't trust that. Like that's uh, something's wrong there. And so and for a while that was Carpenter this year, but he's been on a doubles, doubles binge. He had three the other night. So now he's got 22 doubles, 23 homers. So it's like, oh, what do you, you can't call that one anymore. I think I suspect the, the, as you mentioned, Greg, like there are people that are higher priorities to the organization. Sure. So I think when I mean, you've got Badu in AAA right now, you've got Brendan Davis, they claimed on the, uh, you know, on waivers, they've got him up there. They got to get Austin Meadows going. I don't expect to see Kerry Carpenter this year, but he is due to be added to the 40 man roster. So I, I would, I would, he's a role five guy this year, correct? Yeah. He's, he's, he's eligible this year. Cause he's 2019 uh, along with Lipsius and uh, who else? Uh, we, we talked about Meadows, it. Meadows, yeah, Meadows, yeah, Meadows, and, and Perez too. Um, but uh, so I think, yeah, I think and, and, and there's the your, your, your prime example. If it's between Carpenter and Parker Meadows, who do you put on the forty man? Uh, you know, you, you probably go with the younger guy on the forty man as opposed to Kerry Carpenter. Um, but look, there, there's there has been far worse that has come through Erie and the Tiger organization that has made it to the big leagues. And Kerry Carpenter is not close to that bottom of the list. And so he's going to play in the big league somewhere. And, and you look at some of these organizations who, who need to fill, you know, guy, perfect guy who comes to mind, Frank Schwindel. We had him a couple of years ago. And, and a prime example, he gets up with, with a couple of bad teams in the big leagues. 
And, you know, you're, you're going to find your way there. If you continue to hit, you're going to find your way to the big leagues. And that's, that's the bottom line. And, and even for a guy like, and we'll let's get to we'll get to Erie now. For example, somebody like Winsteel Perez, who was a top prospect, fell out of mm-hmm. the list, now comes to Erie. He's been hitting the ball extremely well. He had a home run today. It was a two run shot to start the scoring for the SeaWolves, and he has looked really good. And, and it's been consistent. What are your thoughts about Perez so far? I know again, defensively, stone hands. I, mean, I don't want to you know, call that. It's not it. even the hands in the field. I mean, when he first got here, it was it was the throws. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 Rahelio, I think I texted you. It's like I, I feel like I'm watching Chuck Knobloch out there. He gets to everything, and then all of a sudden he'll throw it into the dugout. But we haven't. Luckily, we haven't seen that lately. Uh, right. And that may have been the first few game jitters in Double A. Um, you know, he's got six errors right now. Um, not ideal only being here for a short period of time. Um, but his bat is keeping him in the lineup every day. And, you know, they, they've hit him leadoff. They've hit him third. They've hit him fifth. And no matter where they put him in the lineup, he's hitting the baseball. And, you know, he's another guy, uh, you know, the fringe prospect kind of guy. And he was on everybody's radar a couple of years ago. Performance just wasn't there. And, uh, and really, it's a, it's a make or break year for him. And, uh, and he's a guy, as you guys mentioned, you know, potential 40-man spot guy at the end of the season. Uh, he's another guy. What do, you, what do you do with him if he continues to hit the ball? Um, so it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I, you know, I like him. He's a good young player. He's got a good head on his shoulders. And, and, and that's, you know, that, that you can't teach stuff like that. And so I, I do think he's going to get an opportunity if he continues to hit the ball. Um, but, again, the, the, the fielding is going to be the problem for him. If, if he has either the stone hands or the yips when he's throwing the ball – you're never going to play in the big leagues with that. And so they've got to make sure that that is cleaned up uh, in a big way. And, and, you know, I think it probably helped. Tram was in town a couple of weeks ago after we had that uh, tough road trip uh, where he had made, you know, four errors in three games, something like that. And I think he's made two errors since. So uh, whatever Tram was working on with him, it seems to have worked. Uh, and, and he does a masterful job with the infielders when he comes through town. Uh, but, you know, it's just going to be a consistency thing. I think it's just too small of a sample size right now. But, but he, he gives you good quality at bats every night. Uh, he, he's not a, he's not a guy who's going to strike out a ton. He puts the bat on the ball and, uh, and he's a fun player to watch. Especially uh, one of the things about Perez, I like um, when he, his approach at the plate does have a pretty good walk rate. He does show good patience. And another part of about Perez's game is uh, in terms of, like you was saying about this too. Could he possibly, from what you've seen, Greg play the outfield if the Tigers asked him to, you know, he doesn't look bad when he goes back on fly balls. I, I, I don't know if he's going to hit enough power to be in the outfield. I, I, I don't know. It's it, you got to be able to make throws if you're in the outfield. And if, if he's having trouble making the throw from second to first, I don't know. So we've seen a little bit of that with like Willie Castro. Willie Castro has yeah. a strong arm, but he, for whatever reason, just uh, couldn't couldn't throw it in the area code. But uh and you know, and what's funny is when when Willie was in the minor leagues between Akron and Erie, that wasn't the case for him at all. He looked really good. To, I mean, when he came through and the Tigers got him, I'm like, all right, th- this kid can play. And then all of a sudden, the defensive stuff happened, and it's like, wait, wait, what? This is the same guy I watched two years ago, and yeah, that that one's a puzzler there. Yeah, but right now, I think he's been playing really good in the outfield in terms of right field. It seems like he's made a difference in in handling the position well. Speaking of handling the positions well, 
Dylan Dingler, like like that segue. Dylan Dingler and Warren Flores going to the MLB Futures game. The only representatives coming from the Seawolves who, by the way, again, Greg, you guys played a hell of a first half and it's unfortunate you guys fell to the playoffs, but or close to the playoffs rather, but these two have been a big part of that. Flores has been pitching well, even when sometimes his stuff doesn't work. I, I I seem to notice this, and I don't know about you guys, but it seem like when he, his best stuff isn't working, he's still managing to figure a way to get batters out. Yeah, and, and and he really is. And he had he had one pretty bad start. I believe it was the one down in Richmond. Uh, and, of course, everybody had a bad week um, that week. But, you know, his, his command at times has left him, and, and he gives up a lot of hard contact at times. But when he gives up the hard contact, it's not – home run contact it's been right at uh, right at fielders and so uh, i think the defensive positioning has certainly helped him a lot and even that one start uh, he took a loss in the akron series he was pr- pitching pretty well that day and it was a wenzel perez error that kept an inning alive and then uh, and then a three-run home run so he gave up three uh, unearned runs that day uh look he's got tremendous stuff he's just so young and, he, and he's still relatively raw too um but but he's a he's a fun kid to be around and and he's another one who's got a good head on his shoulders and he listens and he listens to the coaching staff and he wants to get better and and he knows his slider is still a work in progress it's a great pitch when it's on but it's still a work in progress and you just hope that you know I I know Ryan Garko came out the other day and said he wouldn't be surprised to see either Dingler or Flores in Toledo this season and look you can't argue with the numbers ERA under three right now in Double A. Um, but, but I, I just, I would like to see him get some more double a starts, um, selfishly cause he's, he's really good at this level, but, uh, but, but for his development, I, I don't think he needs to be rushed. He's only 21 years old. And, you know, I, I, have been a firm believer throughout the years that unless you're planning on bringing a guy to the big leagues that season, exposing them to the triple a game in the middle of the year, is, is that really helping that guy's development or is he better off staying at a level to get really good and then promoting him. And I think that was the case with, you know, look, if Kerry Carpenter was a top five prospect, he would have been in Toledo back in May. Uh, but they let him go and he put up a great month of May. And and it just, sometimes it takes a little longer with some of these guys. But with, with Wilmer Flores, look, tremendously talented kid and he's got really good stuff, but he's still learning how to pitch. And you would much rather him learn how to pitch here than go up to Toledo and get exposed by more veteran hitters who, while here he might get some of those swings and misses on sliders in the dirt, he might not get those in Toledo if he's on an off night. And then Dylan Diggler, who had a home run today to follow part of that four-inning, or excuse me, four-run first inning for the Seawolves, it seems like he that was an opposite field shot, which is a good sign yeah. to see that. And Diggler seems like in the last few weeks, outside of his defensive ability, he's been seen, hitting a, seems like he's seen the ball better. Yeah, they, you know, they've given him some extra time off, and and it helped when you had a veteran in Chris Rabago uh, to handle a lot of the catching duties when Dingler wasn't catching. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, he just looked really tired at the plate, um, and I think he was getting worn out a little bit. Uh, you know, people people realize that, you know, last year was his first professional season, so this is a grind, especially on a, on a catcher. Um, you know, he, he's coming along. He's been better at the plate. He's not striking out as much. He's walking a little more, um, you know, ready for Toledo right now. Probably not. He's going to need some more. He, he's got to get to like 260, 270, and then it's like, okay, he's ready to go. Um, but but you like the signs of progress. Uh, what I hope doesn't happen is what happened in May. He went on that nice tear where I think it was an eight or nine game hitting streak, got his batting average up to, into the 280s. And once that happened, I thought, wow, he's going to be going to Toledo pretty soon. And they left him here, 
And then he started to struggle again. And so I, I just hope it's not one of those flash in the pan moments where he goes on a tear for a week, puts up tremendous numbers. And all of a sudden we find him in Toledo and then he's lost at the plate up there. Um, you know, the, everything middle in he's hitting right now. And I think the opposite field home run today was, was very encouraging for him. Uh, he's had trouble laying off pitches outside of the zone. And that's where a lot of his strikeouts come from. Um, but, but when it's in his wheelhouse, look, he's a, he's a powerful guy. And when he hits the ball, it goes. Uh, but again, the, the strikeout rate for him, I think he's up over 90 strikeouts now that that's, and that's in double a, if that goes to Toledo, that's not a good thing. Uh, he, he still has to cut down on those quite a bit. Again, tremendously talented, talented, but what is he, 22, 23, somewhere, somewhere in there. Um, you know, it, it, the, the door is wide open in Detroit for the next catcher right now. I think everybody would have probably agree on that. Um, and, and I think he's probably the guy, but he's just got to show more at the plate. Um, defensively, I, I've been a little surprised at uh, – I think he's got nine errors now this season – um, the, the, the throw out rate still, still pretty good. Um, I think 15 stolen base or 15 caught ceilings, 29 stolen bases. He hasn't thrown a guy out since June 11th. Um, guys just haven't been running on him as much. Uh, I think overall stolen bases in the league have been down, um, since the calendar turned to June. Um, but, uh, but again, he's, a, he's a guy that, you know, tremendous defensive ability. And, uh, and I know they really like the fact that he catches prospect pitchers every night. Um, and, and so, you know, trying to get those guys accustomed to throwing to him, the Reese Olsons, the Austin Bergners of the world, because if, if everybody keeps progressing, then that's, that's your battery in Toledo next year. And that's your potential battery in, you know, next year or the year after in Detroit. Um, so I, I think Dingler will stay here as long as there are still prospect pitchers here. And as we know, there's still a log jam in Toledo. So a lot of those guys are probably going to be here for a little while. Now you mentioned Bergner who, who only pitched three innings today. And I, I was assuming that was just kind of, a prescribed short outing, but I don't know if it's yeah, that was that was a planned outing. So they've uh, when when guys have made two starts in a week, usually they'll, they'll pick one or the other to be the short start, depending on what we have available in the bullpen. Um, so Bergner went five on Tuesday, and then they it was a scheduled three inning start today. Uh, Wilmer Flores, he was a scheduled four inning start the other night, looked really good. I mean, he could have probably gone six or seven, um, but. Um, but they had to pull him after four. And I believe his start on Tuesday is going to be another four inning start with him traveling to the futures game. Uh, so we're without a starting pitcher for next Sunday. Um, but Flores will probably only go three or four on, uh, on Tuesday just to keep him fresh. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's tough when you watch these guys and, and Berner didn't have his best stuff today. He got through three innings. Uh, yeah, I think he gave up four hits, struck out a few guys. You, you could tell even, you know, the, the prior start this week, he didn't have his best stuff. Um, but he was getting his way through and through three shutout innings. You know, you'd like to see them turn these guys loose. Um, but again, it's it's tough to argue against the philosophy right now because I think we talked about this the last time I was on. You look at that 2019 Erie pitching staff. Uh, Tarek Skubal had Tommy John when he was in college. Alex Fajardo had it in pro ball. Mize had it in pro ball. Manning, you know, he hasn't had that surgery, but he's been hurt this season. So it, it's tough to argue what Gabe Rebus and those guys have brought over from the Dodgers and they've cultivated so many young arms over there over the years of what they're doing with the, uh, with the Tigers minor leaguers. Now uh, I, I know it's frustrating for the guys because they want to go out there and pitch, but I think for a long term, and it just, it stings because it's the first year uh, of all these new rules on the pitchers in the organization. But hopefully after a year or two of this program, then, then things will start to level out and you'll be able to get these guys going deeper in the ball games, but they are being abundantly cautious with 
every arm that is a, a that is a prospect right now. And so, yeah, Bergner today was was the three inning start. Uh, he, he's looked very good at times. I, I think he's a guy that you can find in Toledo at some point. Um, you know, same with Flores. Uh, but again, you know, when I when I look at a guy and say, okay, is he ready to go to Toledo? Garrett Hill was dominating when he was here this season. He, he had nothing left to prove in Double A. Um, you know, I thought that was going to be the case with Reese Olson when he had that stretch of like three or four starts in, uh, in in late May, early June, where he had the 11 strikeout game, 10 strikeout game, a nine strikeout game. I thought he was going to go up, uh, and, and I think they were maybe one start away from doing that. And then he just kind of hit hit the skids as of late. Um, so I think we'll probably see Reese around a little while longer. Yeah, yeah. we were there for one of those games. The the immaculate inning, we were there for that one. But, oh yeah, that, that was right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like he's given up about five or six home runs in his last three outings. So I don't know if there's anything strange going on there. If it's just you know, he had a crazy. great start in Altoona uh, when we were were there, and that's a pretty good offense over there in uh, in Altoona. And it was the first time all season where you know Reese everything was working off of the secondary pitches instead of his fastball, and he flat out dominated because Altoona didn't know what was coming. Uh, so the game plan was very good that day. But since that time, the, the home run rate has gone way up. And what did you say? Is it six in the last four starts now? I think that's so. what it is. Yeah, yeah, six in his last three starts. Yeah, he, he just hasn't been able to keep the ball in the ballpark. And and I don't get it. And, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to really chat with Dan Rickaball about it. Um, but it's just he, he hasn't looked himself as of late. Velocity is still there. Um, but he, he, he's falling behind in more counts than we saw earlier in the year. And I'm not going to say he's reverting back to the resource and we saw when he first came over from the trade with a lot of walks um, and, and the strikeout numbers have gone down, uh, but it, it's definitely trending in that direction. So you hope he can bounce back. He'll start, I believe on Thursday of, of this week against Binghamton. Um, Binghamton, not a great ball club at all. Uh, so I, I would anticipate him going out and having a pretty decent start. Um, but again, it's it's alarming with the home run balls and 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 very similar to uh, to Alex Fajardo when he was in, here in 2019 had a good year, um, but the, I think he gave up like 20 some home runs that year when he was in Erie. Uh, it's just it's it's a little alarming to see that uh, right right now out of Reese. But you know otherwise he's looked good. His breaking stuff is good. His changeup is is electric, um, and and you know he's starting to pitch from behind now with with teams that just sit fastball. Uh, so you know he's got a good approach when he goes out in the mound. He's just not executing right now. Now, the reason, another reason why I wanted you on tonight was the fact that I just wrote an article about Andre Lipsy. It wasn't, it wasn't to talk about Tito's vodka and, and my dill plants that are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, I mean, I wasn't sure how you, uh, you, I know you just literally, I wasn't, I, I pictured you driving out of your, running out of your car, getting, you know, all, you know, getting settled in for the night. And you're like, you know what? I just watched the bullpen meltdown. I'm going to get a drink real fast and. Yeah. Um, but uh, all all jokes aside, the Andre has been on a tear in the last mm-hmm. month or so, and we're just trying. Like when I wrote the article, I was trying to figure. Like Chris and I were trying to figure out whether or not it's just another year in Erie, or he's figured out. But we're noticing one thing, and his poll percentage numbers are up, which is indication based off just kind of like that maybe he's figured out the power aspect of it all. But you're there. Do you see that? Do you see a difference in him whatsoever in terms of hitting the ball harder? Because it feels like he's just he's he's been hitting in the last two weeks over uh, three three hundred uh, with I mean one home run, but still it's just it seems like there's something different. I think finally, so at the beginning of the season he was hitting only two twenty two thirty, and but the walks kept increasing and the walks kept increasing and they kept going up, kept going up. I think he's uh, plus nine in the walk to strikeout ratio right now. 
And I think he's finally getting pitches to hit and he's not missing them. And that's been the big thing. He uses all fields. Uh, so I'm a little surprised to, to hear you say that his pull percentage has gone up um, because that, that, you know, watching him every day, uh, that doesn't seem like the case. Um, but, you know, he's just he's got such a good approach at the plate and he forces you to throw a strike. He struck out twice today. And I even said on the air that I, I meant to look it up. Man, it was the first time in, in weeks that he had struck out twice in a single game. Um, but he, he just works such good at bats and he has such good plate awareness um, that that he's not getting fooled when they have to come in the strike zone on him. Um, so it's uh, I can't point my finger to one thing. Uh, you know, the home run he hit to win the game the other night was an opposite field shot. He also had a uh, had a double to tie the game against Akron uh, earlier in that series. The, the extra inning win in the first game of that series uh, where he went opposite field off the wall there, too. So it seems like his big hits have come the opposite way. Um, but but he's really a, a, a left center to right center hitter right now. Um, at least from what I've uh, I've observed with the naked eye, and I'm sure you're going to pull up a stat that's going to prove me completely wrong. No, no, but <laughs> no, but it's just like, it, again, it's is it a start difference two percent from last year? I mean, I just look at it from a, like a gradual standpoint. There, comparatively speaking, it could be any, it could be nothing. But it was even it, it was right here where um, I felt that whatever the cases were two, two to three percent it wasn't like, yeah. a, like a huge yeah. okay when you said it i thought it'd jump up like 10 percent and then I'm oh thinking, no 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 boy, boy <laughs> am i drinking on the air these days what, yeah. what am I <laughs> no i i think um it, when we talked about it, raj we, we said you know one of the we said that that's like one of the oldest scouting adages in the book right with that, that the last thing that comes is power and, and a lot of that comes from guys learning when they can turn on a pitch to drive it but we saw uh, when we were there watching VP, Lipsius was consistently driving the ball to the right center field gap. But I actually think he, you know, hit a couple of opposite field home runs. He does have power to all fields. I just feel like, um, yeah, he might be learning when to pull on it better or pull on it. Yeah. <laughs> pull the ball better. Um, and, you know, uh, I think in general, he's, he's, he's like Greg was saying, he's getting pitches to hit, he's not missing them. I had a great point to make, and I don't even know what it is right now. Yeah, that, that is great. Um, no, I mean, with 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 Lipsius, you're right. I think the power is is starting to come, um, but he's just an on base machine right now. And you know, he's every every time you talk to a scout, every time you, you talk to anybody in the know, it, it seems like he's another guy who just can't get the recognition that he deserves what he's doing on the field. Uh, you know, he made a nice play today. And again, kind of looked like a robot doing it at times, but he had to, he was playing back at third base. He had to range in on a ball barehanded, made a good strong throw to first. It was just a quick runner up the line on a slow chopper. And he made a nice play. I mean, he, he makes plays in the field. Um, and so, uh, you know, I always hear Lipsius has no range. Lipsius can't do this. Lipsius can't do that. And he just goes out there and, and, and plays. And, and that's, you know, and, and, and I think Gabe Alvarez said it the best a couple of weeks ago after, or maybe it was last week after the walk-off to beat Akron. Um, you know, he, he is the guy in the clubhouse. He is the leader out there. And those are the kind of guys that people like to play with. And he has fun on the field. I mean, you watch him, you know, he'll, he'll get on base and he's just joking around and having a good time. But when it comes down to business, he, uh, he, he I, I know the point I wanted to make now. So one of the things that I talked about with you guys last time I was on, uh, we were talking about Kerry Carpenter and you had asked me what one of the biggest adjustments he had made this year. And it's been that opposite field uh, strategy that John Murian has really hammered on these guys all season long, because if you can hit it to the opposite field, you're going to be able to pull the ball. But, you know, last year with Carpenter, he was so pull heavy at all times that, you know, I, 
even when they instituted the shifting or the lack of shifting, I mean, they were button guys right up against second base just to try and take hits away from him. And, and I think the same can be said with Lipsius. John's approach of, of getting these guys to use all the fields has really helped the pull side power. Um, you know, you look at this ball club right now, and, and really the only true pull hitter on this team is probably Quincy Naporti. Um, other than that, these guys, they, they make a conscious effort to use all fields. And, uh, and that's been refreshing because we've had so many teams in the past uh, where it's been up, overload to the right, overload to the left, and just take it away, take it away, take it away. And, and that's not been the case with this year's club. So I think what John's been able to do with these hitters to kind of maybe open their eyes a little bit. And, you know, one of the best things you can have happen as a hitting coach is when you're, you're preaching things constantly to hitters and one guy starts to figure it out, then other guys are like, oh, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. And so then they start trying to go to the opposite way and use all fields and take that center to left approach for the lefties and, and opposite for the righties. Uh, so I think John's impact on these guys has been huge this season. And, and he works with them tirelessly in the cage every day. Uh, but, you know, I, I can't say enough about the, the job the coaching staff has done here this year. I know it hasn't been the easiest of jobs, especially on the pitching side at times. Um, but they've, uh, they've done a tremendous job with these guys on making adjustments. Since the day I saw him, Andre, in West Michigan, I've always thought that based off some of the scouting reports about his feet, I mean, does he move a little slow out there? But I've always been, I've always felt that he would be a good utility player at a major league level because of his arm, because his ability Absolutely. to play third and short. And I've seen some make some, some really good plays on the left side of the infield. And so to see the bat coming together on that side is very a, a positive because this is a guy who got – called up really early last year and we talked about that before and it just it took him a minute but i thought since day since day one when he got called up regardless of how his bat was i thought defensively he looked like he belonged to erie day one he's not a defensive liability i mean he's got 10 errors but the the, the 10 errors it, it's funny because he doesn't make bad i guess when he makes an error you're like what was that? Because that's a play he makes nine times out of ten. And on the fantastic plays, he gets the balls, he makes the great plays, but it's those ones where you're just sitting there and you scratch your head and you're like, wait a minute now. I know he can make that play, and he makes it nine times out of ten, but what the heck happened right there? Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, defensively, he's been fine. Look, he's a guy that, and I agree with you, he could be a utility guy in the big leagues. He, he still needs some more seasoning, but he could be a utility guy in the big leagues for sure. All right, and uh, one last question, Greg, before we get you out of here, in terms of what, what's coming up promotion-wise for the Seawolves, I know that there's a Spencer Perkelson binder giveaway. What else is going on this week for fans to come and check out? Oh, we got Torkelson on Tuesday. We've got uh, Wednesday is Erie Pinata's night, Two Buck Thursday on Thursday. Uh, Friday is fireworks saturday is winter cap giveaway will be the snow wolves on on saturday night uh so that's always a fun one and then uh just your average sunday day game on sunday and then we uh we have a break we have four days off which will be nice and by the way we did get a question in our chat there yeah what do we got is that an organizational philosophy is the whole field when shifts will be limited to eliminated Because it was because on the major league level shifts will be eliminated uh, next sure. year. Or, yeah, I I think it's just an approach that it's going to get these guys to hit the ball more. Quite frankly, I, I don't know if it's necessarily an organizational philosophy. I, I think any hitting coach wants you to hit to all fields, um, and, and if you can do that, you make yourself a more valuable player. 
Um, you know, that'll be interesting in the big leagues when they when they do get rid of of the shifts. And that is happening, correct? Next year. Yep. That's correct. Okay. So, you know, I, I think it's going to open up uh, it's going to open up a lot of holes for a lot of guys. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if guys become more pool heavy and, and not go to the opposite field as much. Um, but again, if you can hit to all fields in the minor leagues, then that's going to just elevate your status going up to the next level. So that, that's a good question. It's uh, it's going to be really interesting to see. And, and you know, I, I don't unfortunately, I don't get to watch enough of the Tigers, but I know A.J. Hinch is a pretty big shift guy. So that'll be interesting to see how the Tigers approach that defensively next year. Yeah, especially because, I mean, depending on what's going to happen on the left side, I mean, we know Bias is going to be there, but I don't know. It's just this weird thing about third base right now and, and Candelario struggling. So who knows what's going to happen in the next few weeks. But it will, go, it will be good to see, Greg, that you get some time off between the All-Star break coming up. So you have four days off. What the hell are you going to do? <laughs> uh, actually going to be in Michigan. Oh, nice. Yeah, my uh, my wife's family, they have a place, I believe it's Glen Arbor. Um, so we'll be, uh, be camping out up there for, well, not really camping. They have a really nice condo. So we'll be uh, we'll be toughing it out in northern Michigan for a few days. So it'll be nice. Uh, nice to get away. It's always good to get a break. And, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, Jimmy Buffett's schedule has not aligned with mine at all this season. So it's just going to be uh, – couple of relaxing days on the water, smoke some cigars and, uh, and have a good time, but uh, it's, it'll be a welcome break for sure. Awesome. So you find Greg's work, of course, go to the voice of the Erie Steel Wolves. You know where to find them. I don't have to tell you that, but uh, we always appreciate you taking the time and we're going to probably be out there hopefully by the end of the month for the Reading series, uh, the way the schedule is lining up right now. So we'll be out there and we'll have to smoke a cigar because I'm also a cigar connoisseur myself. So uh, you bring yeah. them, I'll smoke them. <laughs> thanks greg we appreciate it man all right thanks guys thanks for having me on i really appreciate the work you guys do i appreciate it thanks greg right. see ya all right that's, so yeah that was great there and uh greg on great insight as always and always get like to get that kind of uh, philosophy of what's going on with the coaches and everything and to hear that kind of stuff is fantastic because quite frankly david you can attest to this too hearing an organizational philosophy <laughs> just hearing that right right hearing one yeah 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 i mean that's that's fantastic always um always hearing what an, orga- what an organization um really preaches about its players and its team it's a uh, it was interesting it was interesting to hear it from the um from the voice of the seawolves himself yeah so let's move on to West Michigan because there's some good West Michigan numbers that we can start off with. And David, go ahead and start in what's been going on in the pitching wise. Cause there's two pitchers that might not, there's two names that are unfamiliar to tech, may, may not be familiar and household names. So what two starters stood out to you this week? Yeah. Um, yeah. Two, two guys really uh, staking their claim in the, West Michigan rotation as of late, and that would be Brent Herter and Kyder Montero, both guys coming up and just like, I don't know if it's um, if it's new guy syndrome, uh, when they just have to watch a couple videos on you before um before your next start, but yeah, it's like Brent Herter came up and just absolutely carried it to probably the pitcher of the series for West Michigan, um yeah five innings, both of his starts only one run, nine strikeouts in total. It's like, um, he was. He really just picked up where he picked up where he went left off from um, uh, Lakeland. Yeah, it was 
it's just nice to see because like you know we were talking about um whether or not some of these Lakeland guys should get the should get the jump up and it was just a matter of who are you going to swap out for him but yes yeah, it's, it's it's really nice to see just um having the confidence to take the reins and just um building off of what you were doing this time with um some steadier and higher competition and i just yeah. uh, I, up, I uploaded uh brand herders uh start from today it's up on the, the website right now or the uh youtube channel right now so you can see um yeah it's it's just a he's an advanced college pitcher and the most impressive thing about herder to me is that his best pitch is his slider and it basically eliminates right-handed hitters it, like normally you think of a, a breaking ball you know eliminating same side but he just buries it uh back foot just about every time or he can also backdoor it um so yeah i mean he's a guy that i think his numbers have taken a slight dip having moved up from low a to high a but i think he's a guy who uh, i don't think they will move him up to double a but i think he's probably ready for that challenge i, I think he needs to continue to develop uh, his fastball command and, and his changeup. but yeah it's been nice to be able to plug him in you know you send flores on to double a and you bring up this guy who was what was he a seventh rounder fifth runner i don't remember what he was last year um honestly honestly said fifth round actually that's yeah, if I'm thinking about it. Um, I, I don't remember exactly which round, but he was, you know, a, a top 10 round pick for the Tigers last year. And uh, I think he's a big leaguer, uh, at, at, you know, probably a reliever down the road. But uh, that's uh, it's, it's kind of fun to watch him do his thing against these uh, A ball hitters who don't really have a chance. Especially because, yeah. oh, go ahead, David. Oh, sorry, Raj. But yeah, it's like one thing, one thing that stood out to me about Herder is that, like, uh, Chris, you touched on the slider. It's like, it's one thing. It's it's one thing to have a good slider. It's another thing to, that you can, you're able to throw it out of that arm angle. Because like, yeah. even though yeah, it's like pitchers pitchers with a side arm angle, they always have a lot more leverage on breaking balls because you know, you don't have to. There's not as much torque in your wrist, and you don't have to. Um, you don't have to come downhill a la Adam Wainwright. It's like you you have a lot more control when you're coming out of the side like that. But yeah, it's like at the same time it's like I touched on before, it's really easy to um, differ differentiate between um, whether your slider is like outstanding or if it's just uh, the washing machine right down the middle. But yeah, it's, and that's, that's one thing that he does really good. Yeah. He's only allowed this week. He's intending, intending to work. He only allowed two runs and struck out nine. And I think the, one of the things about, I and this is where he would play up for a reliever profile is because the way his lineup is and how he comes the, the angle he comes out at kind of like last minute kind of possibilities with it. They had some deception. I think after it'd be a good two or three inning reliever tops, but in the day now, because essentially you don't have situational lefties, but for the tigers to, to get kind of luck on that, by the way, he is a seventh round pick out of Georgia tech. So um, it, nevertheless, yeah. go ahead, Chris. Uh, yeah. Not to cut you off. I'm sorry. The, the, the reason I, I speculate he's a reliever is because it's the, the slider is really good. The fastball is an average pitch. I, I don't know if he has the changeup to really get through the lineup second, third time. And it's kind of a funky delivery, as, as David alluded to. But he throws plenty of strikes. So it's not like an issue where he's walking tons of guys. That's that's yeah. not why I'm projecting the relief. Um, no, the, oh, the, reason why I, no, the reason why I was projecting a possibility for relief is because, if again, even, it's hard to tell sometimes, too, with – the way that the organization's going right now in terms of how they're developing pitchers, these shorter outings, who knows what they're going to 
what what the case is going to be because sometimes it can be the case where we haven't seen a lot of guys go seven innings here, right? I mean, across the board, am I missing something or? I can't. Maybe Bergner went seven innings once. Uh, I mean, we've seen them push Brisky in the big leagues, try to get to seven. And, and um, yeah, I, I can't recall a minor leaguer who's gone that deep. Um, and I, I, when, when I would encourage people to watch the videos because you look, Herder, you said he gave up two two runs this uh, this week, right? Um, yeah. He gave up three hits today. Two of them were infield singles, like 10-foot dribblers. And that was his earned run. He gave up in the sixth inning. He got one out and gave up an infield single and then was pulled out of the game and the reliever let it in. So it's like, that's not the same as, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's good to watch the whole outing and see like, yeah, this is, they weren't doing much. I think there, there was two hard hit balls against them all game. He's just hard to square up. At least the day. Really oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Chris. Um, one thing I want to say is Herder does a really good job of hiding the ball as well. Because mm-hmm. like, yeah, like when you, when you're watching him for one, it's like right before, like during his leg kick, you can see like he's facing, I don't, I don't want to say he's like facing second base, like a la Anibal Sanchez, but like mm-hmm. you, yeah, well, like when he's mid wind up and he sees leg kick, he's like almost facing first base. That's one thing I noticed. And he almost like keeps his glove, like he smashes his glove up against his stomach before he pitches. And that's one thing I really like. It's like, and when you see him, like, just slings his arm back, and it's really hard for hitters to pick up the grip on it. And, yeah, that's one thing I notice. It's a unique yeah. look. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, that's the reason why I think that adds the level of deception to be a reliever, especially a lefty like that. I think that's – it would be a bad thing. If he was a starter, even better. Don't get me wrong. But – and what was interesting about his first start, though, of the of the series against Dayton was it took him a long time before he pitched. And – that was we saw one of the craziest, absolutely nuttiest stat lines you'll ever see among in, in any game on any level. And so this is what happened. I'm trying to get to the schedule, or excuse me, the, the when it was. It was exactly on. It was, it was Monday. It was Monday. Yeah, it was Monday. So Monday, West Michigan wins by a final score of twenty to one. Twenty to one, but they scored. 12 runs in the third on, what was it? Just one hit, two hits, tops? I, I, no, I think they ended up with like four or five hits, but the first, I want to say the first seven or eight runs were on one hit. And I, I did it. I went like play by play. I tweeted out and I missed a walk at the beginning, but it was it was like eight walks, five hits, um, something like that. Yeah, just in, in, there were hit by pitches. It was uh, the damnedest inning I've ever seen. It must have taken 45 minutes. There's yeah. two different pitching changes. And to the point where he had the, he was war- wasn't he he was warming up in the bullpen, wasn't he? He was taking he was throwing yeah. the bullpen. I was surprised they sent him back out. I was too. But uh David, did you get a chance to check that game out at all? Um yeah, I mean I did I certainly did my homework on it. I didn't get a chance to watch it. Unfortunately, I was working, but um yeah, it's like they I was Looking at looking at the box score, and I saw that I saw the tweet you guys put out about it, and like, yeah, the one thing that stood out is no home runs. It's like usually in all those big scoring games in the blots, you see like two home run games or just a launch in the ball out of the park. But yeah, it's like this is the definition of them. Um, small ball can win ball games sometimes. Is you don't got to hit the ball four hundred feet, and that's the one thing I liked about it. Yeah, <laughs> it was just I just imagine him being on the bench going, all right. When am I going to come in? It's just it was it was crazy, 
And amount of offense for West Michigan that day, Brian Packer finished three for six on the day. Austin Murr, two for two, well, two for two. Two for two with yeah. four walks, I think, right? Four walks, yeah, four walks. Yeah, that's why it, it took me a, a pause for a moment. And then Trey Cruz has been hitting the ball a little better as right, late, went through for five. He had a pair of walks as well. And, yeah, it's that was, that was an insane game. That was a very insane game. And overall, uh, in terms of the offensive bats, down in West Michigan for the week. What stood out was also Josh Crouch, Chris's favorite prospect. See, I didn't say prospect crush this time, Chris. Uh, two for three no, in game six. Go ahead. No, you can call him like prospect crush. I, I, like, uh, I, I, you know, he's a personal cheese ball is what they would say at like Baseball America. It's just a guy that I, I'm kind of uh, curious to see how things go for him. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. It was West Michigan, as a, we've talked about before, they have, a, a really good offense this year, and it's driven largely by on-base guys. They have seven or eight guys who are walking in a double-disc clip this year, and uh, there's a little bit of power there, but when they're, they're just on-base so much that when there is that power, it leads to these huge innings. Yeah, and, and Dayton was really good. I mean, one of the best teams in the first half of the season, and they had a couple guys call up the double-A they've lost, so... I think it's they've not lost the same team. Six, six hitters, I think they said, and then like two or three pitchers. Ooh. Uh, yeah, they, they've yeah they were they were a tough team. They have La De La Cruz, who is like a top fifty prospect in baseball. He's the guy he he homered. He's a switch hitter. He homered from both sides of the plate twice this week, which hadn't happened for uh, that that team in twelve years. Wow! Last time it happened twelve years ago, and he did it twice in three days, including one which killed a man in the crowd. Uh, fortunately, not actually dead, but, uh, you know, once you find out that he didn't die, it's one of the funnier clips you'll see. Did you see that clip, David? I did not. Uh, do yourself yeah. a favor. Go see it immediately. It was one of the most highest viewed clips we've ever posted on our Twitter account ever. Um, I could pull it up right now, but I wanted to talk about real quick before I forgot the Chris, you're talking about all the offense for West Michigan. They have a run differential, the best run differential in the second half of the season right now, plus 48. They scored already 102 runs. They are 11 and four, and they have the first half lead. They have the lead in the Midwest League East. And overall, on the year, I, I got to give credit to Brian Pena for rolling up the punches with this. They're, 30, they're three games over 500. So they're 42 and 39. And this was a team. I felt like a month ago, Chris, it was, it was five or six games or even more. They were just sitting in, in the water, and now they, they look like a completely different team, and they now have a plus differential of – they have the second-best plus differ, run differential uh, at plus 65 for the whole entire season so far. It's Yeah, it's a quality team. I mean, they lost Wilmer Flores pretty quickly, but the pitching has stepped up. We, uh, we, David wanted to mention Kyder Montero. Um, he's a guy with a great arm, and uh, we went and saw him. He, he was their opening day starter this year, uh, and he was out after one and a third innings where we got hit by a pitch on the foot. Uh, but he was also their opening day starter last year. They really believe in his arm. I don't, we don't think it's a starter, but we saw him up like 97, 98. He's got a really high spin breaking ball that he just doesn't quite know how to use yet. But you'll see outings like he put together, what was it, today, four, was it today or no, it was yesterday, four innings, seven strikeouts. Um, there are times when he can dominate. So, and that's a nice arm to have in there. Carlos Guzman is a guy that, that his ERA is high. 
really athletic guys. Got a couple of good pitches. Just, you know, doesn't seem to string it together very long. But uh, Ty Madden, Ty Madden probably shouldn't be in low uh, high A anymore. Um, I, we, we talked about it. Like, he's not he's not putting up, like, these weird, like, Wilmer Flores, 10 strikeouts and four innings outings. But nobody's hitting him. I think he's given up 15 hits in his last 35 innings or something like that. It's uh, his ERA is down to like two, two and a half. It's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you can make the case that Ty Madden is Detroit's best prospect. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be like a, uh, you know, front of the rotation starter. I just think when you look at, you can kind of nitpick every pitcher in the system, I think. Uh, and he's the one that looks the most to me like a traditional mid-rotation starter in terms of stuff, uh, operation, uh, body, all that stuff. And, and, and but uh, well, we don't need to get into that now. We, we can we'll have a, a prospect ranking discussion, I think, probably after the draft. Yes, definitely. We're going to have uh, David on, uh, participate in that. And the other thing that came out that was kind of uh, relatively hush-hush was a discovery by you, Chris, that Dylan Smith on the IL. Dylan. Dylan. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, it, it occurred to me today, I'm like, you know, he hasn't pitched in a while. And he had been getting, he was getting beat up for the better part of a month. Uh, and, and before that, you know, he was kind of like Madden the first six, eight weeks of the year where wasn't dominating but nobody was hitting him he was you know putting up four or five innings like two hits four strikeouts every outing and then he just started getting around um and yeah they kind of quietly put him on the il i don't know like there are two different kinds of quiet injury list placements there's the one where hey it's just something minor it's no big deal and there's the one where like oh no uh don't tell anybody but yeah so i don't know i don't want to speculate too much on that I'd have to go back and look at his last start, which I haven't done. I could probably do that just to see if the velocity was down or anything like that. I, I don't think it was. So it may just be like, hey, you know, he had something sore, something bothering him that was leading to these uh, rough outings. So, but yeah, I mean, that's that's a bummer because that's their third round pick from last year. Really good arm. Yeah, I mean, it could. One, another thing is, uh, one thing I'd want to look for is if it could be mechanics as well. It's like, there's one big, but one big thing that really leads to injuries with pitchers is mechanics. It's like mm-hmm. not talking about it could be like a coaching change in mechanics, but also like um, if like for instance, if you tweak something in like your maybe a hammy or like something that's like really relatively building off your mechanics, like they're off by that much because of an injury, like a small injury, and it could like ultimately build something bigger, and that could have been something that happened with Smith. Yeah, it's the it's the uh, the kinetic chain, right? The you know all parts of the same movement, and, and one broken link can can mess things up at the end. So yeah, that's a good point. I all right, we'll we'll wait and see. Hopefully, it's nothing serious. Uh, I mean, pitching pitchers get hurt, it happens. Uh, so hopefully, it's it's nothing serious. But if it is something serious, he's still relatively young, got a good arm, very athletic. I'm not too worried. Yeah, I'm not either. And again, we'll we'll probably hear more as the week goes on or before the all-star break, which is next week, which we'll is we'll try to head out there to West Michigan to find out. We'll get to the bottom. Yeah. Of well, we or I think we're, I think we're out there Friday or Saturday. We're going out there. I think we're pretty sure it's been a while. It's been a while. So we got to, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a while. Um, yeah, we're, we're going out. Yeah. We have to hit the road again. We haven't in a while and now I'm fully recovered and all that jazz. It's time to hit the road again. It's uh, well overdue. 
And also because, again, the big club doing some interesting things, winning six in a row before today and had a chance to win the series against the Sox. But I digress. Lakeland is up next, and Lakeland is going to be, is always one of these things when we do these recaps, people ask about the record and what have you. We, we kind of really kind of have to look at that and go, eh, it's more about the prospects side of things. And as far as Christian Santana and Lazaro Benitez, who, who just came back from the aisle a few weeks ago, good to see him back on the lineup. I forgot to mention this. Down in West Michigan, by the way, he got a call up, and it was um, Edward or uh, Chacon. Yeah, yeah. Chacon got called up from Lakeland to West Michigan, and that's pretty awesome. Considering that I just I'm being selfish when I say this, but I just saw him hit in Lakeland. I thought he was he had a really good approach to the plate. What the hell is going on? Um, <laughs> So, it, it, um, all right, throw me off there. So, okay, anyway, uh, I'm looking away now. So, Chacon, since he's been called up to West Michigan, he's hit 353. And he showed, again, he's showing kind of like he's known for his speed. He's had two triples. Walk wise, he's got four walks to five strikeouts, but kind of lean kid i'm not sure what his profile i can't wait to see him this week and see what he's all about so uh but yeah if you get a chance to watch him play david he's a he's always got dog issues okay so chris will be right back in a minute so yeah that's i'm I'm mixed up for that but lakeland wise i don't know david it just seemed like we (laughs) that run differential (laughs) Ooh, yeah a little bit yeah it's a it, it was just it's a struggle it's like i know you said um uh, you mentioned before the show that Lakeland is um, like about the prospects. It's about developing and coaching, but like, it's, that's the thing. It's like, you can, you can always coach your players as much as you want. It's like, uh, but when, whenever you go through rough stretches like this, it's like players starting to get in their head quite a bit. And, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough to see moments like this. And plus we had Job start today, which I'm sure we'll get into, but yeah, it's like um, n- nice to see Benitez and Santana going off for their respective games. But yeah, it's like, um, it, it was it was tough to pull out positives for this one, which is like, um, it sounds familiar as fans of Detroit sports will know. Um, but yeah, it's like it, as far on the pitching side of, the, of it goes, I, I really like to see Michael Hernandez pitch in his start. Is um, it re- low strikeouts? Yeah, but stuff looked good. He was getting guys out, and it's, yeah, five innings. It's um, that's one bright spot that I really noticed. Another thing that I have noticed too, and we're there's been a debate among we have in our DM group about Manuel Sequeira who has been hitting more. He's, he's got 13 home runs, which, you know, David, it's hard to get in a double digit total down the floor stately because of the weather and, and Lakeland is kind of a hard place to hit a home run. And that stands out again, the strikeouts are still high. He's walking around a 4% clip, but Manuel Sequeira has in terms of like a long-term future as a shortstop, We've we've kind of debated about that, but four home runs. He had in the last two weeks. He's had four home runs. He is batting two fifty, and yeah, he's got twelve strikeouts to one walk, which is kind of like uh, you know you kind of have to go oh boy kind of moment with that. And um, in terms of Sequera, and Chris and I have talked about Sequera numerous times, and there's just like I said, the, the debate about it. But Christian Santana, good to see him back, and Roberto Campos, back to back days with home runs. So individually, that's stood out 
Chris, as far as Sequoia goes, we were just talking about this with Mark about the walks. Yeah, one walk in the last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's the main thing. It's it's not necessarily strikeouts with him. I think he's got above average contact ability, but he's he's a guy. It's kind of been the disease of the Tiger system for the last 15 years, and even even to the point where, like, the guys they targeted in trades, like, pick Dabo Lugo. Dabo Lugo could make contact with just about anything, and he knew it, and that was the problem because pitchers would just give him something that he couldn't hit hard. And so I think uh, Sucrera is a guy who, who can hit just about anything, and he swings very hard, and when he gets something that he can do damage on, he, he he's really strong. But a guy like that at his higher levels, he's walking at like a three and a half, four percent clip, and that's the main issue. Like strikeouts, like 22, 23 percent, which is totally manageable. But if you're walking that low at this level, uh, once you get to yeah, higher levels, yeah. if pitchers realize that they they don't need to throw you strikes, they won't. And then yeah. the damage goes away, and uh, all you have are the, the swings and misses. Now, on his side, he's 19. I think we tweeted out that that he's the He's got the most home runs by a Tigers teenager since Wilkin Ramirez in, in 2005. So we're talking about Wilkin Ramirez wasn't – he made it to the big leagues, but he wasn't uh, much of a player. But still, it's it's some, it's noteworthy when somebody that young is hitting for that much power. It's just – it comes with these other issues. Yeah, and the other, speaking of hitting for power too, uh, Edward Valencia had three home runs the last two weeks. That stands out. He's batting 276. He's got OPS just sure. under 1,000. And again, the Tigers, look, as far as catching goes, if you can get another catcher in the system, at least go into high A at some point. Valencia, I thought, again, as a receiver, I thought he did a pretty good job of handling the staff when I saw him down there. But that that's a positive sign. Uh, again, with even when you talk about Alfonso, who is at, back at West Michigan, they have another guy right behind there. I know Mark's a big fan of him. I know a couple other people are a fan of him. So that was a positive the a couple things that kind of unfortunately stand out is Pacheco in the last couple of weeks is down batting near almost he's at 204 and the in terms of extra base power is kind of he struggled he's he's 11 for his last 54 and same thing slugging's gone down his OPS is also just down so maybe it's just a tired getting tired just getting adjusting I'm not sure what's going on there. But uh, as far as that goes, and anybody in terms of pitching wise, like you, you mentioned it earlier, David, anybody else to, it, beyond that was there, uh, Carlos Pena got lit up the last a couple starts. He's got he's been he's had an ERA of seven point three six over his last uh, three starts, which is I don't know the the, the staff has seemed like they've just they've been rated again. And outside of that, I can't think of anybody else that stands out. Yeah, I know, and um, that's the. That's that's the problem with a um, a, I don't know a, a franchise pitching depth that is a, a in desperate need of a reboot, not not like a not like a rebuild reboot, but like everybody needs to um, just take take a rest a little bit because like you know when it, it's hard for a team to um in my opinion to like uh, to reset especially especially as a minor league team when all of a sudden you see that like you're like oh it's like there's a problem with the big big um the big clubs so like a lot of our, a lot of the depth is moving around. And I think that's one thing we saw with Lakeland. It's like we saw some guys move up because guys over there moved up and so on and so forth. But yeah, it's like um, that's one thing I noticed. And uh, before we moved on to pitching, I had a note about um, Sequoia I wanted to share. And that was um, it, and 
Raji mentioned that he's pretty good hit, hitting the ball a little bit, but like once he gets into one, he can hit it hard. But in my opinion, the one thing that he needs to do is like once he fills out his frame and he starts putting on a little bit more weight, I feel like he can hit for a little bit more power because like I, I this is a note I took a while ago, so I can't remember the exact number, but I think he's he's a really lanky guy and he doesn't weigh a whole lot too. So uh, in my opinion, for Sequoia, once he fills out his frame, I feel like the hit tool will develop a little better. Definitely. It also, I mean, I don't know. You know, a lot of times these guys are, are still going by their list of weight from when they were signed, when they were 16 or whatever. And so, like, everybody is, is 5'11 and 150 pounds. And you see them in real life, and they're like, no, that dude's 190. Like, I remember for years, I, I think it was Sandy Baez was listed at, like, 6'2 and 175 pounds. And I went to watch him in West Michigan and he was like 6'7 and 250 pounds. I was like, what is going on here? Why is this? So I don't know. I, I haven't seen Square uh, in person. So I don't know how big he is. I don't know if he's, he's still lanky like that or not. But uh, yeah, I, I, it, it's certainly, you know, he's 19. He's not done growing. Even, you know, most of us were done growing uh, in terms of height at 19. Um, there's still a lot more filling out to be done, for sure. Yeah. So, or, Go ahead, yeah, I was going to say, um, if we're moving on to pitching now, uh, Raj, my question for you is, uh, what was what was wrong with Jackson Jope this week? Depending on the fans, fans are... Um, he's working on stuff. I, I think that's... Honestly, I don't it, the the he he went longer. That was one of his longer outings, right, Chris? That was one of his. Uh... Uh, in terms of pitches, yeah, I think it might have been his longest of the year. I, I uh, you know, he's he's learning how to pitch. I think, I think probably the appropriate uh, statement for him would have been the the Florida Complex League for his level of experience. The guy who barely pitched in high school. Uh, who really doesn't know how to pitch. That's the thing. He's a thrower. He's got good raw stuff. Doesn't know how to use it yet. He gave up a couple home runs. He was spraying them all over the place. Uh, he didn't necessarily have a ton of walks, but he wasn't time in the strike zone. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, he's a guy who's probably going to, he will probably return to the Florida State League next year, which is not what people want to hear. But everybody wants, like, I don't know, you compare a guy's stats uh, first of all, you compare a pitcher to a hitter, doesn't matter. Uh, and you're talking about guys in low A as if that matters. Right. Now, it, it, you know, we we always like to say that, you know, good stats are better than bad stats, but they don't mean anything. They mean nothing at this point. If a guy is, is hitting 400 in low A, you can, you can look back and say, hey, here are the other players who hit 400 in low A, and this is what they did, and usually you're in, in good company. But it doesn't mean anything. It means... Jackson Job could take five giant steps next year and be an elite pitcher in all of baseball. He could not make any advancement at all. We don't know. It's 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 one of those things. So he's struggling this year, and it's obviously people people like to see immediate results because it makes them feel better. Uh, but it also feels like people like to see immediate failure so they can yell about Alavila. But as I mentioned earlier, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know I think Ty Madden is the top pitching prospect in the system top prospect overall in the system. And he's a guy they also got last year in the first round. We've mentioned Ty, Isaac Pacheco, 
that, you know, one player doesn't make a whole draft and we can't really judge draft uh, for, for multiple years. Yeah. And there's and even on the international side too, that you, it, it's going to take a while. And speaking of that, that leads into complex ball slash Dominican ball. Chris, I know you had some updates on that. There, there was some strange things going on in the Dominican league where the game was canceled. We talked about this on Thursday a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, complex they, ball or anything that stood out. Um, well, so Abel Bastidas is the guy who keep, keeps putting up good numbers. I don't have them in front of me right now. I don't know if uh, let me let me look them up. But he is. We've mentioned him before. He was the other guy, the uh, the other shortstop they signed in addition to Christian Santana, and he is quietly putting together a really nice season there in the complex league. So he's hitting right now. He's hitting three hundred nine with a fifteen percent walk rate and a one eighty five isolated power. So he's hitting for power, playing shortstop as a switch hitter. He's the guy who. His frame is better than Christian Santana's. He's 6'2", one, uh, I don't know what the, again, listed at 165. He's probably 185, 190 now. I don't know. I haven't seen him. But Santana's more of a six-footer, potential second baseman. I think Bastidas could be the guy who sticks at shortstop. Uh, so to see him producing right now, and again, it's complex league. Stats don't matter. But uh, on the whole, I'll take better production <laughs> than bad production. So he's a guy that, that uh, I've been keeping an eye on down there. And, you know, it, it's always tough. With There's so many players that we don't really know much about down there in the complex leagues, and you just kind of have to base things on what they do over the course of the season. And so I'll see, you know, certain games from guys. Like, I think Rainer Castillo is still pitching pretty well. I don't know what his stats say overall. But uh, you just kind of let it play out. But, yeah, the, the – the, uh, down in the Dominican, the, the DSL Tigers, too – didn't play for like 10 days and we were speculating that maybe that's a COVID thing. But what is odd about that is like, you know, they're not really a different team than the DSL Tigers one. They have rosters, but players get moved back and forth all the time. And the DSL Tigers one didn't play the other day. So they sent some players over to DSL two. And, and the one guy, I mean, the big signing this year was, was Javier Osorio, right? Shortstop. And he's doing okay. He's not producing the way that Santana did last year, but it's we're like 20 games into there. But there's a kid named Raylan Perez, who I just want people to remember his name because uh, he's off to a really good start there in, uh, in, the, in the Dominican. Right now he is hitting 341 with five doubles, two triples, two home runs, 12 walks, and 14 strikeouts um, through 16 games. 16 games. But, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – you can look through and, and, and that's the best. I mean, it, he has to keep it up, obviously, but that would be, if the season were over today, it would be the best season by a qualified uh, kid in the Dominican system or Tigers prospect in the Dominican Summer League since 2006. And he uh, he's a switch hitting shortstop. He's 17 years old. He's like six months older than Osario. So maybe there's a little bit more experience there, but he wasn't one of the big money signings. But that, you know, we've seen many, many times where that doesn't matter. Like a lot of guys who weren't signed for a ton end up blowing up. It just happens. You know, it's hard to know what a 14-year-old is going to look like at 17, 18. Like I said, Raylan Perez, just a guy to remember. It's just based on stats right now, but switch hitting, shortstop, putting up numbers. We'll see. We'll see if he comes uh, stateside next year. Yeah, a lot of those guys don't come stateside for another – it's not like a thing where if they're doing really well this year – they're going to come up to Lakeland relatively quickly. 
unless unless it's I don't know, Chris. That doesn't happen very often, does it? Uh, well, not not in the same season. Like, yeah. I don't think they bump them up now. It happens to some some teams do that. We're like, hey, this dude is way too advanced for this level. Um, I wouldn't predict that for this kid by by any means. But if if you are putting up numbers and crucially walking basically as much as he strikes out there, that's a sign that like he's ready. You know, barring any off the field issues, which is of course a consideration for guys. You know, these are teenagers in the Dominican; they might not speak any English, might not know how to order food, all that stuff. You know, there's things to deal with there. Uh, but based on his stats, I would expect him to come to the complex league next year. And if he keeps hitting like this, he might even go to low A the way that Christian Santana did, because the level of advancement there would would indicate that that's a possibility. But again. 16 games. He could just be on a, a heater for the ages. Either way, that's that's a positive sign. Was there anything else, gentlemen, before we get out of here that you guys want to highlight, David? Is there anything that you wanted to end the show with? Um, I don't know. Hope the Tigers have a good homestand going into the All-Star break. I know it wasn't beautiful today, but that's that's what I'm hoping for. And that and that Lakeland has a good comeback series. Detroit Bull, really team. Yeah, the, the, yeah, Bradenton is really stacked in terms of like for among the teams that they've been facing down there. The Tigers, by the way, have a doubleheader that kickoff tomorrow. As a this is another doubleheader, which is why the it's just somebody's complaining about the bullpen earlier. Oh, Willie Hernandez and Alonzo Lopez pitched 100 innings in 1984. Different game, folks. <laughs> Guys were not throwing 97 out of their hands then. They were also a lot relievers were throwing 100 innings like it was a normal thing until probably, arguably probably the mid early 90s. I would say I don't I I, I don't have a re, just a research guess off or just guessing off the top of my head. Well, another but, thing is like um, or I'm I'm sorry to cut you off, but one of my thoughts is like back in the day you got to remember it's um a, a bullpen used to be a, a the um home for failed starters essentially. So like back then you, you always had a lot of guys that can go deep into games, but now it's like, um, uh, bullpen. And I'm not saying go deep into games like deep, but like you could stretch a bullpen guy out a, a lot more than you can now. It's like nowadays your, your bullpen pitcher, pitcher is bred for the bullpen. It's like you throw one inning, maybe two. And then like, that's your, that's your outing right there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And yeah. It does change even, for example, Dan Eckersley was a prime example of, of a former starter who became a great, I mean, the, his when he went to the bullpen, he became a Hall of Famer. And that's when the bullpen, the perception of the bullpen changed. And yeah, so tomorrow it will be Michael Padilla in game one, which is at 210. And for the second game, it'll be Alex Fado against Daniel Lynch. And the Tigers will the rest how the in terms of the rest of the schedule this week looks they got they're in Kansas City until Wednesday I believe and then Thursday they start a four game series with the Guardians on the road so it does not get excuse me they, they play four games against the Royals in three days and then they have a four game series to end this before they head to the All Star break so then for whatever reason they have a makeup game on the twenty first at Oakland a doubleheader. Like that's a big kick to the dick. Seriously, like, what the hell's wrong with you? Well, they that was from to... the that was from the uh, the late season, right? Wasn't that? From yeah, the... yeah, that was from the CBA the stuff. Yeah. So, 
they don't even get much of a break. They don't. And the Tigers, hit right out of the way, the, the bullpen's been overtaxed a little bit. They could have used all the days off. But anyway. We go to Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. We go to Oakland and Minnesota. Oakland, yep. At home. And then they have the Padres at home, which would be – that's going to be kind of cool. I'm not going to lie because that often we get a, a really good NL, NL West team out here to watch in person. So, so for myself, David, and Chris Brown, I'm Rahel Castillo. We'll see you this week. Next week, by the way. If you want to, or for the regular uh, World War Tigers podcast on Thursday, and next Sunday is our draft extravaganza. So be ready for names and all sorts of data coming at you. And uh, yeah, there's going to be a couple articles coming out this week on the Tiger Miley Report website. So check out the one I did on Andre Lysias. And there's going to be something coming out on Wilmer Floor at some point in the next couple of days or so. We'll see you next time. Have a good week, everybody.